Welcome to Cover to Cover, a podcast featuring musical conversations about an album or song which has changed and enhanced someone's life. I'm your host, songwriter Matt Targa. We humans connect with the presence of music in our own unique way, as an artist, a concert goer, through our headphones, or as something that simply lives in our everyday background. Our guest today resides just outside of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. She is one Megan Morrison. M.R. Morrison is an artist and poet of We Doubt the Call Even as We Answer It. At the present, she is no stranger to travel, which is an integral element of her practice as an artist. Current projects include design for a board game titled Dow Day Seasons and her second collection of poetry. On her nightstand sits A Brief History of Myth by Karen Armstrong and Vampires in the Lemon Grove, which is a collection of short stories by Karen Russell. The coincidence that both authors' first names are Karen is simply that, a coincidence. Morrison is working on her 200-hour yoga teacher training and eagerly anticipating the return of The Man in the High Castle. So am I, M.R. Morrison. So am I. (laughs) For our discussion today, M.R. Morrison has carefully selected the ska band known as No Doubt's third album titled Tragic Kingdom. Tragic Kingdom was recorded at 11 different studios in the Los Angeles area and released on October 10th of 1995 by Trauma Records and Interscope Records. Tragic Kingdom was produced by Matthew Wilder and was the last album with the original keyboardist, Eric Stefani. He was the prominent creative force behind the band's first two albums, with Tragic Kingdom bringing the debut of his kid sister Gwen Stefani as lyricist. Eric went on to be an animator on The Simpsons, as well as The Ren and Stimpy Show. Megan, thank you very much for being on the program today. I'm excited to speak with you and inhabit this Tragic Kingdom. (laughs) Absolutely, me too. All right. Well, why don't we uh, why don't we get settled in here to our conversation? What uh, compelled you to choose this third effort from No Doubt Tragic Kingdom? Well, I when when I was first approached with the idea of doing this um, podcast with you, I I was like, nope, I can't pick a record. That's too hard. Just one. How how can you pick just one piece of music that is? It's tricky. There's so many of them, right? Yeah. Well, I kind of, I was like, all right, whenever I have a problem like that, that seems so vast and overwhelming, I try to give kind of a framework for myself of how I'm going to make that decision. So for me, I thought about it and it was important to me that I picked one of the many albums that have impacted my life um, that came out within my lifetime. Um, Dozens of albums I could have selected that were recorded, you know, before I was born. But it seemed, it seemed important for it to be one that was of my time period. Um, as a female artist, I think it was also kind of important to me um, to select one of my uh, childhood female heroines, so to speak. Um, and no doubt Tragic Kingdom is, is an album that I have so many memories of, um, you know, I think I, I, I try to think back to the very first one and I, I'm... I'm uncertain if it is the first one or not. Um, but I remember very vividly listening to, I think it was, I think it was just don't speak on the radio driving 
on back roads in New Zealand when I was around five, six years old. And it was right around the time that my, um, my parents separated. And I think it was one of my first real experiences with music where I was sitting there and listening. And all of a sudden I was just like, they know, they understand, they get what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. And there's just like this deep connection. I mean, I think that's one of the beautiful transcendental qualities about music, right? Is it yeah. allows us to connect to each other on this like higher level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, since then, <laughs> since I was six and moving forward, I've, I've come back to that song many times and experienced it on different levels and had that same kind of connection with it as I became more experienced in the human experience. Cause I think that's a big part of the album. Um, I did a little bit of research of my own then kind of making sure I'm, you know, don't put my foot in my mouth <laughs> anywhere through this podcast, but also just to get a little bit more information about it. And I, re- I found out that um, this album was the first album for no doubt. It was their third that uh, Gwen Stefani contributed lyrics to. Right. Um, so the two albums leading up to that were albums that were, written by her brother. So it was someone else writing for her. And I think one of the really parts of it that really like, just like hits me at the core is you can tell that's her voice. Those are her words and you can feel her, her emotions in all of them. Um, yeah. Uh, But I think initially that's kind of how I (laughs) went off the bat choosing it. Um, yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, you know, based on the lyrics, that you hear on this particular record, she's it's, it definitely feels like it's more of a first person account. Mm-hmm. You know, she's, she's really, she's really connecting with other women who might be going through similar experiences, whether you're a teenager, whether you're in your you know twenties or, or early thirties, there's, there's definitely, there, there are definitely a lot of, themes of, of empowerment going on as well. Yeah. And I think having, having a female voice who's actually singing that from a place that is genuine and personal, um, I don't connects on a deeper level. I, I, I think as a child, as a child, when I was younger, I kind of, in my mind always associated her with Debbie Harry. Um, Mm -hmm. Blondie was a big one for me growing up. Um, I remember staring at like, the best of Blondie album for like hours listening to that. But to me, Gwen Stefani was a, was a, was a version of that that was a little bit closer to my time and my age. It felt like it related to me a little bit more. Um, And I think actually really honestly, lyrically you see, and even vocally, you see a lot of similarities between the two. Yes. Um, Inspiration taken there. Yeah. We are talking with my friend and artist M.R. Morrison here on Cover to Cover with Bat Tarka. We're specifically discussing No Doubt's third album called Tragic Kingdom. And we've alluded a little bit, uh, you know, about this uh, from the very top here. Uh, But can you describe for our listeners um, who the lead singer is? Yeah, absolutely. And and, and who the additional players are on this record, too. Yes, absolutely. So um, the lead singer of this album is Gwen Stefani, who I think probably most people are more aware of her solo career um, and endeavors into fashion, et cetera. Um, But then you also had um, uh, Tony Canal, um, who's the bassist, uh, Adrian Young, um, who is their drummer, and uh, 
uh, Tom DeMont, who was their guitarist. And I believe he also then has played keyboard for the band um, because you have a little bit of a transition here with uh, Gwen Stefani's older brother, Eric Stefani, who I think did contribute to a lot of the music in this, but um, this was his last album and he did not tour with them. Yeah. It sounds like there might've been kind of a a reluctance to tour on his part. Plus he was getting involved with an array of different projects in the animation world, like the Simpsons. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you can only wonder the emotional um, ties and connections that go on inside a band and how that, how that affects and draws the creative flow in different directions. Most definitely. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I knew that the, uh, they had Stefani original, Gwen Stefani originally came on as the, um, as a secondary vocalist. Um, they had the original, the original formation had, um, I believe his name was, I'm saying his name was John Spence. And he, he committed suicide in the late eighties. And that's when Gwen Stefani kind of stepped into the role of lead vocalist. So I don't know. It's, I think in that regard too, it's interesting to look at and see how, how, a, how a band is a, is, is so much a collaborative is there's always these transitions occurring. You have these, you know, you have these big figures in it, but there's so many people, so many more people that add into every, add into that music that aren't really present. Um, cause I didn't even then mention there's also a horn section, mm-hmm. um, on the album, which, ah, uh, how can you not love horns? How can you not love <laughs> horns? It was it was nice and refreshing, you know, in that period of time, you know, from the mid, you know, even going all the way down to the late 90s where there was this, you know, there was this third wave of ska that was happening and no doubt was certainly at the forefront of that really great yes. musical revival. Yeah. So we've talked a, we've talked a little bit about uh, you know, when you first heard this particular record. Um mm-hmm. And we've talked a little bit too about, you know, where it fits into the overall discography being their third album. Do you, mm-hmm. do you think that Tragic Kingdom is one of these records that is uh, vastly different from those first two records that they released? Or do you think that there was this continuum of a sound that they just continue to, you know, get tighter and tighter and, and, and build upon that, that type of foundation? I think you can definitely see or hear rather the, um, how the, how that sound was built. Um, but I do think in a lot of ways it, it was a bit of a departure from some of their original stuff. There's definitely much more poppy feel to it. Um, and I mean, not to get too much into gender, but I think, you know, a, a switching of again, lyrically how, where those lyrics are coming from that that shifts that's going to shift the feel of of the music regardless yeah. um it's interesting too because i mean you know we've talked about third wave ska but it's definitely also part of the punk movement mm-hmm. um and and i and i it's interesting too to look then forward to some of their albums and see how they did progress um like rock steady is very like remember when that came out i was like wait is this, is this no doubt Sandinista? Like <laughs> you can see, yeah. you can see the evolution, um, following the paths of its forefathers. I Absolutely. Guess. Yeah. For all of our listeners, of course, Sandinista is a reference to the clash. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, speaking of just music and, and the sounds that we hear on tragic kingdom, you've mentioned sky, you've mentioned elements of punk. There's elements of pop in there as too, in there too, as well. Um, 
Megan, what are your, you know, what are some of your favorite tracks on this album? How many, uh, you know, we can discuss as, as much, as much as we'd <laughs> like to here, but you know, do you have any, you know, any, any particular tracks that just are, are just real standouts that you, you know, go back to again and again when you, when you, when you visit the tragic kingdom? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I couldn't I resist. Oh yeah, no, it's okay. I mean, I I go I visit far more often than I like to admit. Um, <laughs> I think that um, I think one song that shows up on all of the you know the playlists, the compilations I've put together for myself over the many years of being above anything else and just a music appreciator um, is Sunday Morning. Oh yeah, um, that's the way the music builds and rolls over itself and then like oozes into these beautiful moments and the bill, uh, uh, it's, it, it fits on so many different types of compilations for me. I can listen to that when I'm working out. I can listen to that when I'm trying to like pump myself up and be motivated. I can listen to it when um, I'm really not feeling the day and I'm trying to find a way to, you know, push through it. Um there's a really ambiguous line in Sunday morning, and I was trying to wrap my head about it, head around it. Excuse me, as I was preparing for our conversation, and you know, it's really, it's a really nice just turn of phrase here. You know, she's she's referring to somebody, assuming this is mm-hmm. first person, as you know, somebody who's trying her shoes on for a change. You know, they <laughs> they look so good, but they feel so strange. Yeah. You know, I I wonder if that perhaps is is just a take on. Um, you know, her newfound role, so to speak, as the principal lyricist for the group. Yeah. You know, she's, 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 you know, she's getting comfortable in her own skin possibly. Yeah. I had never thought about it like that, but that, that, that makes perfect sense. You know, cause I think, again, I think a lot of, um, a lot of this album was self-discovery for her. Um, you know, I, I can only imagine kind of like joining your big brother's band and, uh, (laughs) Yes. <laughs> trying to establish yourself and and really finding your voice and I mean you know an, another big I guess not big another cloud over all of this is that um Stefani and um Canal broke up um short shortly before this album was released during the so presumably during the writing of it a lot of the they make a lot of references to um a lot of the songs and the breakup songs being about them and or about him. Yeah, I'm wondering if it, if don't speak perhaps is some sort of an autobiographical, you know, etched in amber type of moment, you know, of that, yeah, of that I relationship. So. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading somewhere actually. Um, and I was reading this to clarify because I have a lot of facts in my head about music that I know I've learned from my father. And I just like to make sure that I didn't confuse them along the way somewhere. Um, but I think originally Don't Speak was written by by Eric and Gwen together as a love song. And 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 the lyrics, it, it ended up morphing into what it is, um, which is more, you know, so much more like heart wrenching, yeah. um, the, like the realization of something that's ending. And and there's no there's no know, return. That's, that's where the power comes from, yeah. right, is like. The, the idea that this song started off as a long song and then it turned into this breakup song. Isn't that a beautiful metaphor for every relationship you've had that hasn't worked Most out? Most definitely. 
And there's there's such a beautiful juxtaposition as well of this Spanish flamenco style guitar with with muted trumpet, you know, that's kind of it's just yeah. a nice, nice, easy compliment, but it just definitely supports this this sadness that's just right there in front of you that you know you just can't you can't bring to a grinding halt if you tried. No. And I was, you know, and I think then too, you think, well, what is it? Um, Ended on this, which I don't know. It's again, it's another one of those songs um, that really kind of plays into, into that idea of trying to let go and process something that was, was in the past, but wanting to, to hold on to the good parts yeah. of it. I, um, yeah. The key- that was one that I, today when I was re-listening to the album, um, that I listened to a second time around because I was, I, I don't think I've paid as much attention to the lyrics of it in the past. I've more, I've more played into the music. And actually that's another thing with this album is I think that I love the, I love the lyrics and I love the music and I experience them often together, but I can also find myself sometimes listening to them where I'm really just paying more attention to the music itself than the lyrics. Um, a lot of playful keyboards. Driving yeah. forth. Yes. A lot of, playful keyboards oh, i think and the feel and i think that's kind of part of the ska element of it all but it it has this very americana feel about it and like the music feels like the cover yeah like just i i i feel like i experience different eras in time in america through their music through the well, music let's talk. even though we're focused on this current period of when it was written yeah Well, why don't we talk about the cover? So, um, you know, we live in this universe where information and music is so easily accessed in the palm of our hand and, you know, with just a click of Mm -hmm. a few buttons on a smartphone or what have you, um, you know, even in this, you know, this newfangled era, so to speak of the 21st century artwork is, is critically important and it's always out there supporting records or singles or any way that you, you know, you like to consume music. So mm-hmm. w- you mentioned, you know, there are different types of images of Americana that are conjured up in your mind. Can you, can you describe anything specific that you see, particularly on the front cover? Um, I mean, you look at the, you look at, at the album and even just the, the frame, the framing, the framework of it, her, her stance on the cover is, I mean, feels like a direct reference to so many different pinup models that have been used over the years to sell things. And that was definitely, you know, something to be acknowledged of it. Like you can't be a, you can't be a female artist and, and your sexuality not be part of, at least in this time period, be part of your persona and what you're selling and what you're, you're presenting. So it has that feel, but to me, when I look at her, she doesn't look like, I look at her stance and I look at her expression and she's not, she's not this, I don't know, unconscious image or icon that's being used. She's very aware um, and fully acknowledging what is going on. And there's like a cheekiness to it. And the more you look at the, the cover, you, you, you pick up on other little bits of that. There's little flies, yeah. uh, rotten, rotten fruit. <laughs> Yeah, rotten fruit. It's a, if you look at the very bottom of it, it says "Sun Piss Groves, Anaheim." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and may, and maybe a nod to some people that have you know, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's it's not 
perhaps have criticized them of not being true to themselves is where I'm going with this. There's a little, Mm -hmm. little tag where, you know, typically you see like something like made in the USA. And I think it, I think here it says something Mm -hmm. to the effect of like bought and sold out in the USA, very tongue in cheek. Oh yeah. Um, which then pays, pays homage to, to punk and, and every, everything they're playing with there. Um, you look at the back cover and it's, they're in a parking lot with a shopping cart full of rotten. Well, I don't know if they're rotten, but definitely a shopping cart full of oranges. And they're watching, it's like a um, drive-in parking lot and they're watching this big screen. And it's just like a close up on Stefani's foot smashing an orange. Yeah. (laughs) And maybe that's a a nod to growing up in, you know, Anaheim is in Orange County, right? Forgive me if I, yeah. It is. is. Um, And they, so... Anaheim and then obviously very close to to Disneyland so I think I I also read somewhere that it's it's a nod to to that they had a I think a, a family friend who would refer to Disneyland as oh, the instead of Kingdom. Magic Kingdom ah. <laughs> 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 oh, oh my gosh <laughs> very played into yeah. you know that feeling of it all um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I um it's so American and she's you know she's She's the 90s blondie. Another interesting thing that I, I noted when I was, um, you know, catching up on my research before this was um, that Tragic Kingdom went triple platinum in Australia. I think it went like, it went platinum in the US, but it went triple platinum in Australia. And I, I mentioned this only because when I first encountered No Doubt, that's, I was in that area of the world, my family was traveling. We were in, um, we were in Australia and New Zealand. And I started thinking about that a little bit and just kind of like, you know, wondering, cause I, um, I grew up in New Zealand. We lived there after my parents split. actually very shortly after encountering, <laughs> um, tragic kingdom, we moved to New Zealand and I lived there till I was, um, till I was like 12 and you get a, you get an intro, a, a different, experience of music there because it's much more New Zealand and um, Australia are much more influenced by by England than America is music wise not to say that there isn't um, American music very prevalent there but it's just you get to see a different kind of collection of of influences mm-hmm. um, and I've always wondered if it has some I don't know if it there's there's because to me Tragic Kingdom, especially, there's something that feels very, very California about it, very Pacific Coast, and both of those places both being on the Pacific Ocean. I wonder if there's some kind of, I don't know, unspoken cultural experience that there's crossover there. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just a speculation. Just something that popped into my head while I was thinking about yeah. it, I guess. <laughs> Are there any other tracks that stand out for you we've we've covered you know we've covered several here we've got sunday morning we've we've spoken extensively about don't speak and the penultimate track on here ended on this um well i would say the one as i was listening today one that caught me that i i think i've always enjoyed but i never really like i don't know i would never have picked it out as one that stood out to me was um the climb it's right in the middle and it's it's a much more um a little bit more slowed down pace 
Yeah. Um, to a lot of the other songs, it feels like it should be sung in a dark room upholstered in velvet. Yes. The window is really high on the ceiling and you can just see the light from outside peeking in. It's a blissful six minutes and 36 seconds where, you know, complete with <laughs> Mellotron. There's there's definitely kind of a theatrical uh-huh. vibe to it, you know, kind of like scat vocals at times with these majestic horns and mm-hmm. just, yeah. Yeah, Gwen's vocal really, it just really shines on this track to be sure. Yeah, I've always really loved her vocals. There's something about them that I think I've, heard them described as chirpy but there's something about them that has always reminded me of um buddy holly there's like i feel like she's always like just a second away from a a, a holly hiccup yeah. if you will. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's a that's that that that's a great compliment for sure <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, mr morrison it has been such a great pleasure to chat with you here today. And thank you so much for sharing your thoughts about this, you know, critically important record from no doubt and tragic kingdom. This is, this has been so much fun. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much to MR Morrison for taking some time to stop by cover to cover today. For all of you listeners out there, thank you very much. And please remember to hit that subscribe button on that device in which you listen to your favorite podcast, whether it's Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Take a moment to tell a friend or family about our show. Give us a rating too. Uh, Let us know how much you like the show. Um, It'll help us appear higher in search results. And uh, please feel free to drop us a line at hello at covertocoverconversations.com. Intro and outro music of our podcast is produced by Jarrett Nicolay at Mixtape Studios in Northern Virginia. And we hope you discovered some new music, perhaps uh, even rekindled your love for an old forgotten song and shared a good moment with us as we continue to sonically explore a world from cover to cover.